0: Hi, this is Natalie Siston, and you're listening to the Slapcast.
1: Happy February, y'all. I'm kind of tired. We just had our Next Gen Launch event last Thursday and Friday. It's an overnight event full of training, and it kicks off a 10 month program with young professionals here locally. It is my absolute favorite program of Relay, and that kicks off a ton of planning. Okay, so this it culminates to these two days, which have taken months to plan. Then this week, we kick off ExecGen, which is our other long-term program. So we are just in the thick of planning and events right now, um, but we're excited. We love it. Reminders, you can find this podcast everywhere podcasts are found. Please like and subscribe. We are at Relay Leadership on all the socials, and you can reach me at slapcast at relayleadership.org. We have Care to Lead coming up on February 26th. That's a local workshop. You can find out all the information at relayleadership.com slash care to lead. And Relay Leadership, just as a reminder, is R-E-L-A, leadership.com slash care to lead. Also, I want to remind everyone we have a subscription opportunity coming up where you can do a monthly subscription to Relay. This subscription is going to include everything from it's going to have a community impact portion where we're going to help other people get training with your subscription dollars all the way to being able to join monthly coaching uh Calls, and you're going to get a learning library. There's going to be all kinds of benefits on this subscription plan. So, you want to stay tuned to that. Make sure if you're not on our email list, you join it so that you get the opportunity to join as soon as we release that in early April. On today's episode, I have another local executive coach. Her name is Natalie Siston. And she has been motivating and inspiring audiences of nonprofit, higher education, and Fortune 500 leaders since winning her first blue ribbon in public speaking in 4-H when she was eight years old. I love that. It was for demonstrating how to make oatmeal cookies. Aww. And side note, she claims she's not eaten an oatmeal cookie since. (laughs) Her career has taken her from Silicon Valley to the Fortune 100 and into entrepreneurship. But being raised in Republic, Ohio, note, population 600, not 6,000, 600. This is where she learned her greatest leadership lessons, believe it or not. This is what inspired her to start her business called Small Town Leadership, where she teaches others how to apply lessons from small town living to create big success in the world. I first met Natalie several years ago and heard her story her approach in life and in coaching, and we just simply connected right away. So let's meet Natalie. Welcome to the Slapcast, Natalie. It is so good to see you again. It's been way too long. I'm so happy you're here. I am super happy to be here as well, Shannon. Well, I shared with the audience just a little bit ago some stuff about you in the intro, but I'd like for you to take us back. Um, I just had a short little intro about you, but I'd like to hear more from you about where you came from, your background, and how did you end up with executive
0: coaching now, that's a great place to start. Well, I um, I am from a very very small town called Republic, Ohio, population six hundred. Wow. Yeah, and when I was working with a coach five years ago, she had me think about things that lit me up as a kid. It was one of those coaching engagements where I was like, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. So she had me go in that way back machine. And when I did that, I just remembered all the things I loved doing as a child. And most of them were revolved around speaking and writing. And so out of that coaching engagement came this idea for small town leadership. How do I talk about that small town where I came from and how it's led into the career I've had, the leadership roles I've been able to take, and the places I've worked? And along the way of that came this idea of being a coach myself, because a coach got that started. And a few months down the road from me hiring a coach, someone said to me, hey, Natalie, have have you thought about being a coach? And I said, it's funny. You're the fifth person to say that to me. And that's where my journey began as a coach. So
1: would you say then that's what inspired you then to share these lessons? Like what what was it about that small town upbringing that said, there's something here that needs to be shared with others?
0: It's actually funny because the reverse happened. So I created small town leadership on a little bit of a whim. Uh, It was one of those middle of the night, midnight thoughts where I was in this deep work with this coach. I knew that I wanted to speak more. I knew that I wanted to write more. And I thought, well, what is it that I speak and write about when people ask me to do those two things? And the thing that I always came back to were lessons I learned growing up in Republic, Ohio. <laughs> and I said, well, I think this thing is called small town leadership because that's my leadership style. It's all those things I learned growing up, things like, respecting your neighbor, things like always being willing to pitch in when someone is in need in the community. Obviously, these are things that happen in big cities as well, but I saw them happen every single day growing up in this teeny tiny little town, and I created a platform. I bought the URL and <laughs> used, intended to use that platform only to blog and direct people from when I spoke. And it was about five months into that journey when someone asked me the coaching question, and so coaching came along after the small town leadership idea. Ah, see, I did not know that. So you founded it in two thousand sixteen. Mm-hmm. How has that
1: vision evolved since then? What's it looking like today? We're almost four years later now.
0: I know it's crazy to think about that because these are things that I, I did in the wee hours of the morning and late at night while working a full time job. And how that's at a evolved. big
1: corporation? We're not talking about. I mean, I know where you work, so I know that the, the demands. So yeah, that's abs- a big deal. I mean, yeah, you had a lot of responsibility.
0: Absolutely, working a big job while standing up this passion project and finding the time to do that and how it's evolved is I've written some pretty significant bodies of work over that period of time. So from the end of 2017 into 2018, I wrote a blog series called 52 Weeks of Meaningful Connections. Wow. That was not something I intended to do when I started, but as I started to write back in 2016, I realized I wanted a little bit of discipline to my writing, but I also wanted a theme to it. And I thought, what is it that we're lacking right now? And, and honestly, it was what was I lacking in my life at the time, and it was it was lacking this idea of connection. So I wrote this year-long blog series. Along the way, I decided I'm going to go ahead and post a social media video every week to go along with these posts. And, I mean, Shannon, I just want to tell you that those videos have been the number one thing I'm glad I did on this journey, because I can't go anywhere, the grocery store, running into other parents at pickup now, or people (laughs) even in in my day job saying, hey, Natalie, I saw your video. Um, So it's, it's, it's those types of things that have come along the way. And then along the way, I've built this pretty great, incredible coaching practice that I'm super excited about, that it's growing, and I'm able to serve a wide variety of people through what I do. So what started as this platform for speaking and writing has become this, this bigger place to talk about community connection and care.
1: So when you say you didn't have a lot of connection in your life and that really partially became one of your motivations for going this direction, what were you wanting to be connected to and what kind of pain did the lack of connection bring? Like, How did you know this was a problem and just not the way things were?
0: It took me about halfway through writing the blog series to figure out what the answer to that question was. And when it hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And what hit me was that I was lonely. Mm. And not lonely from a sense of, I don't have people in my life, because I have great friends, I have a wonderful family, I have a terrific husband. But I was lonely in the sense that I wasn't feeling like I could go be in the world who I am fully. Mm. It's that idea of you pass somebody in the street. How you doing? I'm great. Fine. Okay. You know, we do that every day. And there were some days when I didn't want to say those things, but I was. It was like wearing that mask yeah. out. And so halfway through the, the blog series, I realized that was why I was writing it. And I can go back and read it now and see that inflection point because things started to change. It became more about how do we be authentic? How do we, how do we be real? How do we share those really hard things that we're going through in our life? Because that's what makes us whole people. Yeah. And during the process of writing that, I had some pretty rough things happen in my own life. And being able to use the idea of myself building connection to share those with people who were close to me. I wasn't sharing them on the blog, but I was sharing them in my life to the people who were close to me. That made me feel connection. And so I brought the whole series to a close through a video uh, called So Damn Lonely. <laughs> because that's what, how I realized I was feeling. That's was a great name. Was so damn lonely. And I tell people you could start there and start the 52 weeks there, or you could use that as a, your, your reminder to always work on building those connections.
1: I love it when I hear things that align with something that we do at Relay, and it just is confirmation of what I would call universal truths. And when we talk about connection, we talk about it as requiring a mindset of vulnerability and contained within vulnerability is this um, is authenticity and meaning authenticity meaning my insides and my outsides are aligned and meaning meaning that meaning meaning <laughs> double um, me when i say the word meaning what i'm referring to is doing something on purpose and with intention that that gives something more meaning than like the hey how are you doing i'm fine how are you that when i am more have more depth to my vulnerability which isn't necessarily disclosure, but nonetheless, it is, it, there are vulnerabilities that we can um, engage in with others and even with ourselves, that that is the key to connection. And without that, loneliness is exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens. How would you, how would you then take that same concept that you talked about, not using my words, but your, your, your explanation, and how does that translate into the effect on leadership then?
0: What, what happens when leaders are not connected? I think we know and feel it in our gut when our leaders not connected and when we as leaders aren't connected because it, it comes across in our energy and you and I have connected on this in the past that people can feel your energy before a word even comes out of your mouth right. They can sense when you're connected to your work you're connected to your mission, you're connected to the people on your team and in times of you know in turbulent times when lots of change is going on, I think people tend to retreat in they go to they go inward, many, many times, that's a natural inclination to pull back when what we really need to do is pull forward and connect and build relationships and bring people in. So it's almost like this force field that's around us. And when people can sense that you want to be that magnet to bring them in, they will come right in. And those are some amazing leaders to work with. I've gotten to work with many of those types of leaders. I've gotten to see people build that type of leadership skill. But let me tell you, when the magnet's on that opposite pole and it pushes them away, Ooh, that's when I—that's when I think you're experiencing what you just said. That—that yeah. that feeling of, of they could be lonely or they could be pushing things away, and then it—it it, it breaks down a team.
1: And when you're a leader and you show up that way, the people around you are filling in the why with their worst thoughts, right? And none of them might even be true, but you know, I just—I did a workshop just today, and one of the things someone in the room said to me was, well, the reason my boss doesn't do this is because he doesn't care about me and that I don't matter. That may or may not be true. I I doubt that it's true. But it was a perfect example of when leaders are not connected meaningfully to the people that they lead, the people fill in the blank. Like, it creates a vacuum, and that vacuum will be filled. And it's going to be filled with the way that person views their world. And if they're not mindful, if they're not aware... It's more than likely going to be something negative. And then we wonder as leaders why we're not getting what we want from people. It just becomes this like vicious cycle in a way.
0: Absolutely is. I do a ton of work on unconscious bias. And what you're describing is autopilot. Mm-hmm. It's, I go on autopilot, I shake my head, yes, I say I'm fine. And then I fill in all the gaps. And we don't fill in the gaps with pretty pictures. No,
1: <laughs> at least I don't. <laughs> Sounds like one of your top mindsets or approaches from. Small town living is this connection piece. Are is there other are there other big ones that would be helpful to share with the audience?
0: Absolutely. I love that we can come and bring that bring that idea back. There are three that come to mind for me when I think about that mindset that that helps people thrive in a small town that you can bring into your life wherever you live. So the things that I think back to, those those stories from when I was a little girl growing up, number one is resourcefulness. There never ever seemed to be enough in a small town, whether it's enough people who have the skill, whether it's resources to do the thing you wanna get done, but small town people figure it out. So it's a mindset of being resourceful and knowing I can make things happen with what I'm given. Yeah. Because if, we, if you can face it in our world, we all are gonna be asked to do more with less. So being resourceful is, is absolutely key. The second one, I think this is a, a funny one and I can share a little anecdote about this one is agility. So I never, ever, ever thought about why I'm able to switch tasks as quickly as I am or just wear lots of hats. I mean, in my life right now, I'm, I'm a full-time employee. I'm a business owner. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I do things in the community. And I always ask, how can I be, do all this? And then I think about my high school principal, <laughs> who was not only the high school principal, but she was also the mother to one of my classmates. She was the lead soprano in the church choir. And she was a dairy farmer. So on any given day, of course she was. <laughs> right. On any given day I would see Mrs. Watson singing at church or mucking hay in the cow barn or Doing the announcements at the assembly at school—that was normal. And I think when you're in a small town, people have to wear all those hats and have a lot of agility. So I, I think it's thinking about how can I be agile in a world that's once again asking me to do more. And the final piece, and I think this goes really well with your mission with Relay, is altruism. Mm. You know, my uh, my uncle Bob passed away last year, and when I was thinking about the true essence of small town. The small town mayor is my uncle Bob. You know, he his um, funeral was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because his sons did the eulogies and talked about every person in that town knew my uncle Bob. He was the Boy Scout leader. He was the fire chief. He was he was the mayor at one point in time. Everybody had a story about how he helped them, and my uncle Bob never ever advertised that stuff. He never went around like I'm everybody's savior. But we all had a story. I have my own stories. And I think it's thinking about how can I be that altruistic person no matter who comes up to me. We can all make people feel like they matter, feel like they care when we can do that one person at a time.
1: I agree with that. And I find it so interesting that, you know, this month we're talking about aligning people to a higher purpose. I believe that helping to align, like if I'm a leader and I'm trying to align people to a higher purpose, it's really difficult to do that if I haven't connected with them. That it could almost, the danger in, in trying to align people to a purpose, you know, I've got this vision, you've all gotta get on board and let's all row the same direction. If I haven't connected meaningfully, it might come across as disingenuous. What is your experience or, or do you have any experience coaching, working with leaders who tend to be very vision focused um, and I don't just mean getting tasks done. Like they, they have a really strong vision of, of a desired future, but they still are disconnected from the people that they lead. And like, what does that result in? And how do we help those kinds of leaders to see how important it is to not just align people to a vision, but to connect to them so that we can bring all of that to a reality?
0: I, th- what's coming to mind for me, Shannon, is the idea that we're on different time tracks. So it's not that I, as an employee, can't get behind my leader's vision, it's that they're three steps ahead of me. Mm. So I think with the way I like to think about it, and when I coach, it's reminding the leader that, okay, you either came up with this idea, or you've been in all the meetings where this thing has been decided upon, you've been part of the creation team. Your team hasn't been part of that. So they need that time to buy in. They need time on the change curve to get to where you already are. So the leader's ready to move. The associate needs time to get there. And so that's when it's up to the leader to say, what do each of your people need to get there? And guess what? It's not the same for everybody. <laughs> right? Because some
1: people are really slow. Like For me, if, if it's not my idea, if it's someone else's idea, I need some time. To get mm-hmm. used to this right now, right?
0: <laughs> My
1: husband even more, you know, very cautious. And so and then everything in between could be occurring on your team.
0: Absolutely. And when we think about some of the the stereotypes or just Prototypes of leaders, we think of them as a lot of dominance, moving forward really quickly. Someone like you doesn't necessarily fall in that quadrant all the time. So how do we make sure people that need the time, and I'm obviously, once again, stereotyping all of this here, but we have to remember that not everyone is, is that go-forward-right-now type, and we have to give people the space they need to catch up. And to bring their ideas forward too, because the other half of that is they might have some really awesome ideas. So not only do you need to give them time, but someone like you, you're saying, hey, if it's my idea, I'm going to be right on board. Awesome. Then how can we get Shannon in these meetings? How can we get Shannon in the dialogue? That way she feels like her voice is heard and she feels like she can be part of that go forward vision. That's such a good reminder.
1: I'm going to be selfish for a minute. That's a really good reminder to me as a leader, because oftentimes I will have been noodling on something just on my own. And then by the time I present it to either staff or the board, um, or let's say the staff and I have been talking about something. I'm like, yeah, let's go do this. And then I bring it to the board. I haven't always completely thought through going back to step one and explaining my thought process and how did we get here. And I eventually do that. But it's a good reminder to me that, as you said, they weren't there. And if I'm not careful, I can get frustrated at all the questions. The questions are really good. It's almost like, listen, I have it. We already thought about all this. I figured it out. Just this is what we're going to do, okay? And so, trust um, me. Trust me. So I don't want to paint myself with some a terrible employee of the board. Um, we have great rapport. Um, I'm just talking about internally. So it's a good reminder to me, especially as a visionary, that you, what you want to do in your vision is always going to outpace the people around you, and you have to purposely slow down. Otherwise, you can't get them aligned to that vision. It's like you said, everyone's going to be somewhere different.
0: And it's a delicate balance, too, between taking so much time that you actually don't ever get the thing done (laughs) to going so fast that people aren't on the boat with you. And I've done both.
1: I've been guilty of ready, shoot, aim (laughs) more times than I like to admit. And um, one of the things that keeps me from doing that is the communication process. Who do I need to talk to? Who needs to be told about this? And understanding what are the cascading messages that need to be sent out to other people? Um, So that's actually very, very helpful for me. So that's a great reminder. So I know that wasn't for me, but I'm I'm taking it. That was really good. Um, What can individuals and companies do to make their organizations feel more like a
0: small town? I love this question because that is how I've shown up in all the workplaces I've been, and I think it's why I've been successful. So the thing you said earlier actually hit with me, the three things that people want from a workplace is they want to feel cared for, they want to feel like they belong, and they want to know that they and their work matter. Full stop. Yeah. And when I think about those three characteristics, that's exactly how a well-run small town feels people feel cared for. You can have the most the biggest blow up, the hugest fight with somebody and the next day crisis strikes and you're at their side helping them. Yeah. It's just this universal care and we'll we'll do that for anybody in that small town. So we have to be able to do that for people. We have to be able to care for them. We have to make them feel like they belong. And I always carry my mom on my shoulder when I'm thinking about this one, my mom is the ultimate welcome wagon in Republic, Ohio still today. We live on my parents still live in the house I grew up in and on they have neighbors on either side cuz you know, out in the country you don't always have neighbors, but they've had new people move in and she always shows up with cinnamon Rolls or cookies, mm, casseroles. I know I can't. I probably can't convince her to come move next door to you. or She'd have it here. Uh, There's too many people around us over here. <laughs> but it's it's thinking. How do I take that idea of showing up on someone's porch with a welcome gift into the workplace? How do I turn to the person who moves into the desk next to me because we all got reassigned to where we sit? versus ignoring them because we don't work on the same team. Yeah. I can't tell you how many great relationships I have formed in the women's restrooms at work because you don't work on the same work team as somebody, but you sit on the same floor as them. So eventually you run into them enough to say, can we just introduce ourselves to one another? <laughs> and those have formed some tremendous relationships. And it's it's funny, I carry my mom on my shoulder, but recently I've had to remind her of the welcome wagon because she needs some help right now in her life. And uh, it's, it's simple help. We're in a small town, I think it's easy to call on people to do that. And they'll say, yes, it's also another great tip for people. And I said, hey, you know, you've got those new neighbors with those little kids. I think they might be awesome to help you with that thing you need. She's like, oh yeah, good point. I'm like, mom, lean into the small town, come on. <laughs> and then I think the, the final piece there is making people feel like they matter. Um, in a small town, I think I I always felt like I could be seen. And I felt like Whatever I was doing, my contribution mattered. And that's what we have to do in a workplace. We have to make individuals feel like they're showing up and doing work that's very important and and how it fits into the big picture. And then as leaders, we have to tell that narrative. We have to share a narrative in a way that everyone sees themselves in the whole. Everyone sees their part when we give out the big strategic vision or we report out on how the year went people have to be able to see themselves in that.
1: What would your advice be? Because I know some of our listeners are individual contributors. They're not leaders of teams. Maybe, maybe not. They're desirous of a leadership position. I don't know. What would you say to someone that says, my organization's not committed to that kind of small town feel or anything similar to that? I don't really know that I have any options right now, but What's something that I can do as an individual contributor to bring a little bit more of that into my experience, even if my boss or my employer isn't really about all of that?
0: I think there's two paths on that one. One is to do the coaching thing to them and say, "How true is that story really?" <laughs> so we had to get that one out of the way first, my <laughs> right? Right? How how true is that really? Have you asked? Maybe there's other barriers in the way that are telling you that story. And the second is to just start doing things. I think this is my biggest lesson of a career that I would tell someone who's aspiring to leadership is just step in and do the thing that you would do if you were mm-hmm. leading the team without it appearing as if you're coming in to take over. And it could be something simple and silly like a potluck or, hey, we are, we're we're going to do a cookie exchange or everybody come and bring their childhood picture and hang it up in, in their cubicle. And some of these things can be done virtually too. Obviously, you can't have a potluck virtually, but you could <laughs> share things digitally with each other. But it's thinking about what will make this place feel like a place I want to show up every day. And if if. There's an individual contributor listening who knows right away, oh my gosh, if I could do this, it'll make everything feel different for me at work. Then show up and do it and maybe not ask for, for the permission and see what happens. Yeah, because you can, if you
1: work on a team, let's say, you can express meaningfully that someone else's work on your team matters to you and they don't have to be your direct report for you to show up that way, right? I mean, you can just be that and put that out into the culture of your team, even if you're not the leader of that team. I think we have a lot more control over our experience and over our environment at work than we actually realize. Sure, are there toxic workplaces? Absolutely, I'm not denying that. But a lot of individual contributors feel trapped, at least the ones I've talked to, especially if they feel like they work someplace that's like, oh, they'll never embrace something like this. And they get stuck in that victim thinking of there's nothing I can do. And it sounds like what I hear you saying is find out what you can do and do that thing. And Absolutely. you could focus on those three things even if you don't necessarily have any direct reports.
0: You sure can. And that's also what helps you show up as a leader because people see that and they feel that. Because we know that we know that, you know, the, the rotten apple spoils the whole bushel. The opposite is true too. When someone sees something, someone showing up and being bigger than themselves and trying, that's noticed. And it helps people show up with a bigger game for themselves as well. Like the rising tide rises all boats. Yeah, Be that tide.
1: Yeah. Now, what do you want people to know as far as how they can connect with you? So uh, website, your blog, Mm -hmm. email, socials, what's the best way for people to contact Natalie if they want to learn more about what you do?
0: I'm very easy to find because I'm the only Natalie Siston. So search Natalie Siston or Small Town Leadership. I'm Natalie Siston in Small Town Leadership on all the socials LinkedIn, primarily Facebook and Instagram. And if people are interested in getting my e newsletter, which comes out every two to three weeks, they can do that on smalltownleadership.com. It's a good e-newsletter. I get it. It's one of the few I read. (laughs) Oh, I appreciate that.
1: (laughs) Natalie, thanks again for being on the Slapcast. It's been a total pleasure having you here with us. Until next time.